Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on Thine is the Kingdom. Talking about the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God is here. The Kingdom of God is within us. We have the keys of the Kingdom, and we are to seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. Before we jump into the message, just so you know, all of our, our, our teachings are archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousedeceptorship.org. And on the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see the word give. It's highlighted in blue. It's a blue button. You click there, you can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse, uh, to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Excuse me. And uh, in case you're, if you're in the United States... All of your tax donations are 100%. All of your contributions, excuse me, again, are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 501 church. Well, without further ado, and all the announcements set aside, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. I have a lot to cover today. We're talking about, and we've been talking about, the kingdom of God. The title of the message is, Thine is the Kingdom. Talk about it's His kingdom. And, um, but the kingdom of God is here. We, we start, we, we, we use a lot of scripture over the last couple of weeks. This is week three in our message. And so, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we started, one of the verses that we started out from went from Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, the scene is that Jesus had just been slain. Excuse me. He'd just been ascended to the heavens and to the right hand of God's. And when Jesus rose again from the cross and he ascended on the right hand of his majesty on high, it changed the sun and heaven. And the, eight, the, the, the 24 elders and the four beasts that surrounded the throne of God began to sing this song. And they sang a song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. When Jesus accomplished the cross, what Jesus did by being slain for us and redeeming us by his blood, it also included that in the sun in heaven, there's 24 elders and the, and, and, and the four beasts that surround the throne of God are singing 24-7 every day for eternity. They are singing this song. That God has redeemed us by his blood through Jesus Christ. And he has made us out of every tribe, tongue, people, nation. A, a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of kings and priests. That, <coughs> excuse me, that we should reign on the earth. Okay? It's significant. What, what Jesus accomplished is significant enough that the, the, the heavenly hosts, those who are surrounding the throne of God, are singing this song. They're around the throne of God. They're singing in the song that we, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to be kings and priests of reign on the earth. Whatever that means, it's significant enough for the, 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 the heavenly host to sing that song. Okay. We also talked about from Romans 5.17, even though through Adam's sin, death reigned, those who, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life 
to the one Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me, trying to get this out of my system. Um, we are destined to reign. We've been, we've been purchased by his blood. We've been redeemed by his blood to be kings and priests to reign on the earth to the one Jesus Christ. He's the high king. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And Jesus has redeemed us to, to reign in life through this gift called righteousness, through this, through this abundance of grace. And we've been talking over the last two weeks where we've been talking about the kingdom of God, that righteousness is very linked to this. We've been talking about how Jesus said we have the keys of the kingdom. We're not trying to get them. We have them. And we need to use those keys. With great power comes great responsibilities. There's some things that we need to bind. And there's some things that we need to loose as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There's some things that we need to do with the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said that it's our Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. He also said that uh, He also said that the kingdom of God is not here and there. It's not by observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. We also talked last week, how we <coughs> excuse me again, we have to seek first and foremost the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus, Paul, the apostle, in, in, the, in the New Testament, linked the kingdom of God and righteousness left and right. We talked also last week how the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The word kingdom and the word righteousness uh, seem to be reoccurring over and over again. And we've been talking about that at length over the last two weeks. And we're going to continue along those lines in many ways this morning as well. But this morning I want to take a, a different approach, even though we're going to continue on this theme that we've been talking about. And there's kind of a subtitle to this message this morning, is that I want you to have a throne attitude. I want you to have a, a throne-like attitude. We've been redeemed by His blood. We are kings and priests. We are the reign in life. And we need to have a throne-like attitude. And let me preface what I want to say by going here into Psalm 89. Psalm 89, beginning with verse 14. And it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Excuse me. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of their countenance. Excuse me again. It goes on to say, in your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. This is a whole other message I'm not going to go into this morning. I've talked about this in late in times past. But, and Peter makes mention of this in, in his book, in his letter. He says, when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will exalt us in due time. The righteousness of God will exalt us. We're not exalting ourselves. But there is an exaltation of God. When we understand his righteousness. If anything, we've been, we were sinners. We were alienated from the life of God. And we've been exalted to having life. Through Jesus Christ. Through this righteousness. That's an exaltation. And that's God doing that. I'm not saying we're going to get puffed up. I'm not saying we're the king of kings. I'm not saying we're God. I'm not saying we're Jesus. But there's something that in his righteousness. Not our righteousness. In his righteousness, there is an exaltation from God, not from us. Okay? 
But what I want to zero in on is this first phrase, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Mercy and truth go before his face. Really, verse 14 here, and really the first phrase here of that verse, righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And any time you talk about the kingdom, you're going to have a king, and he is the king. Thine is the kingdom. Okay, and in the kingdom, where you have a king, you're going to have a throne. And in the kingdom of God, the foundation of the throne of the king of kings and the Lord of lords is righteousness. You can't separate righteousness from the kingdom of God. We've been talking about this at length over the last two or three weeks. Okay, and righteousness is the very foundation of the throne of God. I want that just to sink in for a moment. Righteousness is the foundation of that throne. Okay? Righteousness is the foundation. It's a principle. It's the, it's the, um, you know, it's just like a foundation. A foundation of a house. If the foundation is not solid, the whole house can come crumbling down. The foundation of a marriage needs to be a relationship with God. The foundation of any business needs to be a relationship with God. If the foundation is bad, everything that you build on top of that foundation is corrupt. The throne of God, God himself, and sitting on his throne, is sitting on this foundation of righteousness and justice. Whatever that means, that's huge. And we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so, we've, we've been, you know, the title of this message really came from the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Your kingdom, he, pray, he teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He concludes that prayer by saying, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And we've been talking at length how the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is within us. We have the keys of the kingdom. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. But on the foundation of that kingdom that's within us, on the foundation of that kingdom that we are supposed to reign, is righteousness. Okay? But in Hebrews chapter 1, and Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, is written to the Jews. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm, we'll go there in just a second. But he said in Psalm chapter 1, beginning verse 8, and he's talking to the Son, he's talking to Jesus, and he calls the Son God. So that's a deity of Jesus. But there's a Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Let me finish verse 9, because it's quoted from the same context. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I'm not going to focus on this last part, even though it's from the same quotation. This verse is actually from Psalm chapter 45, verse 6. I'm not going to read verse 7. <coughs> I just read it for you, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. 
your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness, a scepter of your kingdom. This is what the writer of Hebrews is quoting in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, that's just to bring some clarity where he, he didn't make this up. Okay, but at the same point in time, this, 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 we're talking about the kingdom of God. We had already established that the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. But the scepter of righteousness is also the scepter of his kingdom. A scepter. That's not something we use a lot in our day and age, in this modern world that we live in. But a scepter is that rod, that staff that a king or a queen would have. And it's a symbol of authority. Okay? Yeah, if you might recall the story of Esther, Esther wanted to plead her case and had, had something to plead before the king. She was the queen. But unless he pointed that scepter at her, she was not allowed to speak. She could have been executed for, capital, for a capital offense if she did not respect the scepter of the kingdom. And the scepter of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The throne of God is on the foundation. The foundation of that is, the, is righteousness. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of the kingdom of God. There's just something about this righteousness that is so linked to the kingdom of God. You can't separate it. If you read, and I don't have it in my notes this morning, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul compares the ministry of condemnation, death, the law, to the ministry of the Spirit, which he also calls the ministry of righteousness. The ministration is really the word there, ministry. If you study the around in the Greek, it's the word administration. We have, we used to have the Trump administration. Before, uh, years ago, we had the Reagan administration. Okay? It's, it's a government. It's a, it's a, um, and so the administration of God, the administration of the Spirit of God, is the administration of righteousness. It's a scepter of righteousness. I could go on and on with this, but I want to move forward. Okay? And so, so again, this scepter of righteousness goes all links together with this righteousness and justice on the foundation of the throne. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. I'm still really in the prelude of where I want to go this morning, but I want to establish this. But this scepter I, I, you know, I can bring a lot of scripture out this morning, especially from the Old Testament. And a lot of times the scepter would be called a rod or a staff. Yes, sometimes I have refers to a shepherd's staff. I get that. Um, but a lot of times uh, it would be called a rod, a staff, or, or whatnot. And when you go read Isaiah chapter 9, it says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, I mean, this is talking about a scepter. I'm talking about, I think this is talking about the scepter of darkness. Remember, I don't, I, I might have in my notes here in just a moment, but we already read it this morning. Death did reign because of Adam's offense. And there's been a lot of oppression since Adam's offense to the fall towards mankind. Okay? But God has broken the yoke of that oppression, that staff, that, 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 uh, Scepter, if you will, the scepter of the kingdom of... How I many know we've been translating from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? And the kingdom of his dear son, the scepter of that kingdom is righteousness. The foundation of that kingdom is righteousness. 
Hopefully you're following with me. Isaiah 9, 4, two verses later. <coughs> Excuse me, two verses later is where we started this whole series. Where it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, from the line of Judah, through the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. There's so much in here, I don't have time to go into all of it. But in this kingdom, this child, this was born to us, this son who was given to us, he broke the yoke of the staff, of the rod, of the scepter of oppression that was upon us through Jesus, this child, and the government of his kingdom shall be upon him. And his shoulder, and the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Remember, the kingdom of God is righteous joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. One thing I'm trying to come across this morning is from the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a lot to be said about the kingdom of God and righteousness. There's a common thread. There's a common theme. And I'm not even hitting all the scriptures yet. Okay? And I'm not even going to be able to hit all the scriptures in this series. But the Word of God has a lot to say about the kingdom of God. has a lot to say about righteousness. And how it's linked to Jesus. And how it's linked to us. Because so much that it changed the sun in heaven. Where the 24 elders and, and, the, and the four beasts are singing around the throne of God. That we could redeem by his blood and make us kings and priests. That we might reign on the earth. And it all goes back to the set your throne, O oh God. Talking to Jesus. He said, here's a scepter of righteousness. And it's a scepter of your kingdom. This is so rich. And it goes hand in hand. With this scepter, with this scepter, I believe we are to receive the much more. Death reigned, and it had a scepter, and that yoke was broken through Jesus, this child that was born to us, this, this son who was given to us. And when we receive this grace and the, and gift of righteousness, we will reign through life through the one Jesus Christ, because the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Hopefully you follow with me. Fast forward into Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. I love the writer of Hebrews because he tells you what the whole book's about. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. If you're wanting to know what the main point of Hebrews chapter 8 is, I mean, the, the book of Hebrews is, he tells you in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, the main point of the things we are saying. And this is not a modern translation. This is New King James. The main point of the things we are saying that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. The main point that the writer of Hebrews is talking to the Jews, the Hebrews, is that we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Righteousness and truth are the foundation of his throne. And the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. 
the scepter of his kingdom. He already said that in the chapter 1. Is righteousness. He's talking about the Son of God. He's talking about in chapter 1. He's talking about this high priest who is seated on the throne of God. And the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Now, one thing that just a footnote is, in the Levitical law, a priest, a high priest, priest, could not be a king. That was illegal. That was uh, in violation of the law. That was sin. Okay? But how many of you know, this is Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews already established that we, our high priest is not after the Levitical priesthood. It's after the priesthood of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king priest. And this, our high priest, Jesus Christ, after the order of Melchizedek, he already established that argument in Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 8, he says, we have such a high priest. This is the main point he's trying to communicate. We have such a high priest who is, not going to be, but who is seated at the right hand of the throne. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about thine as a kingdom. And we have a high priest who is sitting down. We're going to come to that in just a moment. At the right hand of the throne of his majesty on high. And this high priest who is sitting on the throne, which is a king. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. This is very rich. And I know a lot of us don't understand everything that's being said here. And I can't say I understand everything that's being said here. But, but we have, I mean, we have an awesome God who has an awesome kingdom. In all of scripture, from the prophets to the writer of Hebrews and other scriptures, is saying we have an awesome kingdom and an awesome priesthood. And there's something significant that the main point that he's trying to communicate is that Jesus, our high priest, who has a scepter of righteousness, is sitting at the throne of God. Remember, I showed you this morning, I want us to have a throne-like attitude. Okay? And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Okay? That's the main point he's trying to say here. And how many of you know that if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, as he is, so are we in this world. And I want to piggyback on that because it says in Ephesians that he was raised together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only is Jesus sitting on the throne, but we are seating with, excuse me, sorry, Sitting with him. I skipped over a verse I need to go back to. Not only is as he is as he is, so are we in this world, but we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer he who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us. And the life that we live, we live by faith in the, in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Okay? And so we are sitting together with him in heavenly places of Christ Jesus. Jesus also said. In Revelation chapter 3, at the, at, when he's talking to the church of Laodicea, the church in its worst condition, 
He said to him, whoever comes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and settled down with my father on his throne. Okay? We are invited to sit on the lap of Jesus on his throne. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. And the main point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is that we, that Jesus, our high priest, is sitting at the throne of God. What's so significant about Jesus and the throne of God? Well, in the Old Testament, and actually I want to back up here just a moment. I skipped over some things in my notes. Excuse me. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, how many of you would, would agree with me that sitting is a picture of rest? And that's what we want to talk about. Tomorrow. We want to talk about rest. We want to talk about entering into his rest this morning. As we're talking about having a throne-like attitude, we need to have an attitude of rest. And we're going to get there in just a moment. I'm going to explain that. But, see, remember... I feel a little choppy here because I feel like I'm going backwards. But I feel like I need to do this. I should have prepared my notes a little better. But the main point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make is that we have a high priest who's sitting at the throne of God. That's the main point. The scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. Okay? And as he is so, are we in this world. We are crucified Christ is no longer. We who live as Christ who lives in us. And we are sitting together with him in heavenly places. We've been invited. He's standing at the door and knocking to his church. And he says, if you will come, I want to come and sup with you, you with me. And he who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. He's already sitting there. Okay. This is Revelation chapter 3. We're, we're going to read in chapter 5 later, and we're where we read this morning, where he's standing on the throne of God and the land that was slain and the whole heaven, the whole music and song and heaven change. Okay. But in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, if you read the book of the Moses, <coughs> the Levitical Law, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, you'll see that in the tabernacle of Moses, there was no, there was no chair. Of all the furniture, there was no chair. In the temple of God, that Solomon built, we read about also in Haggai, when they rebuilt the temple, there was no chair. There was no chair because the priest's work was never done. It was never finished. They had to do it day after day, year after year. You know they did the burnt offering two times a day, every day, at sunup and sundown. The burnt offering had to speak to our righteousness that we received from Jesus Christ. And they were reminded of our, our gift of righteousness that we received because through the burnt offering, every morning and every evening, the priests had to do a burnt offering. That's 365 burnt offerings a year times two. Okay? I should have done the math beforehand. But in the New Testament, we have a great high priest, and I'm going to go back one more time, sorry. Sitting down. This is Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to read right now Hebrews chapter 10. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
But this man, <coughs> but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That is the main point that he's trying to communicate to the Jews and to us. That's significant. He's sitting down. Why? Because the work is finished. Jesus said that in John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. And when you read the book of Revelation, you will see that the Father said, It is done. But I want you to have a throne-like attitude. Because not only is Jesus on the throne, we're sitting together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? And as he is, so are we in this world. But, so in the Old Testament, the priest always stood. There was no chair. Because they had to re offer repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over because their, their sacrifices could never take away sins. But Jesus sat down and once he made one offering, one sacrifice for, for sins forever, as our sin offering and also as our burnt offering, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then it says, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. We're going to come back to this phrase. We're going to read it from another scripture. But we're going to come back to what he just said here in verse 13 in just a few moments. Okay? But remember, as he is, Jesus is, so are we in this world. Jesus is on the throne. And we're sitting together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? But... In Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, this is talking about Jesus, but we want to talk about having a throne-like attitude. And this is kind of my main scripture for this morning. The Lord said to my Lord, he's talking about Jesus, so God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod, there's that scepter again, of your strength out of the Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. We're going to come back to verse 2 in a little while, and even the last part of verse 1 here, to our make your enemies your footstool. We'll, we'll capture that in this moment. But we're supposed to sit. Jesus is at, is sit at his right hand so he makes his enemy his footstool. We just read that also in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. Okay? Hopefully you're following me so far. And I want to talk about having a throne-like attitude because, again, as he is, so are we in this world. There's an attitude that Jesus was told to have that I believe we need to have also. Okay? We're not Jesus, but we're crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And we need to have the mind of Christ. Okay? And so, again, this rod... And we'll come back to this a little bit later too. But again, that scepter, the scepter of righteousness, the scepter of his kingdom. Okay? But I believe, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this, but I believe we need to sit. Ever tell your dog to sit? Sit? Okay? Sometimes we need to sit. God, our Father, is telling us to sit down. Sit down and expect your Father to bring 
all of your defeated enemies at your feet. Sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay? Let's go, let's go to Ephesians real quick. And I don't have time to read the whole prayer. But Paul is praying a prayer for us, the church. And in the middle of that prayer, I'm going to pick it up. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. We talk a lot about Jesus being raised from the dead, and that is the climax of this message. The same power to raise Christ from the dead is living in us. We have a great inheritance. But not only did Christ raise from the dead, Jesus is also seated. We need to talk about the resurrection, but we also need to talk about the ascension of Jesus, because the ascension of Jesus includes him sitting on the throne of God. And him sitting on the throne of God changed the music in heaven. Because he was raised from the dead. He was as a ram who was slain. And he was standing on the throne of God. You see, but let me go back to this. When he raised, which he worked in Christ. Excuse <coughs> me. I wish I'd gone back further in the prayer. Because he talked about the eyes of our understanding, the hope of our calling, to our inheritance. God has invested it to us. When he, the same power to raise Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavy places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the kingdom and the age that, that which is to come. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the foundation is righteousness. We're talking about we shall reign in life we receive this abundance of grace and gift of righteousness. We're talking about Christ has redeemed us by his blood that we will reign that kingdom of priests. We're talking about how the kingdom of God is in us. It's our Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. That we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we don't need to look for the kingdom of God here and there because the kingdom of God is within us. We're talking about how we have the keys of the kingdom. We're talking about how we are sitting with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only is he seated, but we're seated with him far above all principalities. Whatever you're facing, whatever demonic force, whatever oppression you're facing, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. <coughs> Paul is praying that our, the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power by which Jesus is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. The I mean, he, the scepter of his kingdom, is right. he's on the throne! Far above all principalities are everything. Everything, every dominion, every might, every name that is named has to bow to our king. And we have that as our inheritance. We have that as our scepter. We have that as our king of glory. Okay? And he goes on, and he put all things under his feet. How I many you know we are the body of Christ? We are the body of Christ. We're not alienated from God. We were. 
We're born again. We're the righteous God in Christ Jesus. And he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Excuse me. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we are seated with him on his throne. Far above all principalities and power. I mean, if, if you can't dance over this, your wood is wet. You're not getting this. Okay? And so, and I know I'm not putting enough enthusiasm in this as, as well. But, he has put all things underneath our feet. We're sitting down so he's made everything, all of our enemies, our footstool. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We're seated with him. So if Jesus is sitting on the throne of God and his enemies are making his footstool, and we're sitting with God and him and praying for instance, guess what? If the enemies are Jesus' footstool, they're our footstool too. Do you understand the term body of Christ? He's the head. Okay? Are your feet connected to your head? Or do you have a whole torso in between your head and your feet? We are the body of Christ. He's the head, yes. You're not the head. You don't make a good head. I don't know if you are the if you are the thumb, the finger, the foot, the toe, the knee, or some body part I've never heard of. But you are needed and you are important and you are part of the body of Christ and you are connected to the feet and you are connected to the head. We're one unit. We're not an amputated body. We are a unit. And God has put all things under his feet and against above all power. And we're sitting, we're resting our feet on the footstool of our enemy. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? But, since we're talking about feet, let's also piggyback how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who brings us gospel, who proclaims peace. The kingdom of God is righteous, joy, and peace. In the Holy Spirit, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. We, we talked a whole year, last year, 2022, we spent almost 11 months talking about this salvation that we have. Which includes wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. Who says, as I am, your God reigns. We're talking about the kingdom of God, folks. Thine is the kingdom. He's seated on the throne of God, above all principalities and powers. Righteousness is his foundation. His scepter is righteousness. He's above all principalities and powers. Our God reigns. <coughs> I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Because this gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And that's what we are preaching. That's what we are proclaiming. Why? Because our God reigns. We have the scepter of righteousness. We have the gift of righteousness. We have the ministry of righteousness. The foundation of his throne. Excuse <coughs> me, is righteousness. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. We're, we're priests, but we're not standing. We're sitting with God. Because he, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And he's waiting. 
until his enemies are made his footstool. Hopefully I'm making sense. I, I got so many thoughts, I'm trying, I'm looking at my notes making sure I don't miss something here. I want to take this at another angle, but before I go there, again, I'm saying, you know, I'm trying to bring across this morning that we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. We need to have the same throne-like attitude that Jesus had, and I'm going to continue to expound on that. But we need to rest, waiting till his enemies are made up of stone. Why? Because he's sitting down at the right hand of God, waiting for this. What enemies need to be made your footstool? How many of you have an enemy of called sickness? And it might have a lot of different names. Cancer, COVID, or cough, hearing impairment, whatever it might be, cancer. It needs to be made. It's first I mean, you have lack. Poverty. It needs to be made. It's first It's an enemy of God. It's not a blessing. It's a curse. According to the word of God. Okay. How many of you have depression? Or discouraged? And it's led to depression. That's an enemy. And it needs to be made. A footstool. It's put. It needs to be put under your feet. It has a name. And it needs to bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All curses. Any curse. Any curse. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon us. And it, the, that curse needs to become your footstool in Christ Jesus. Again, going back to the book of Hebrews, we're going to go there in just a second. But in Hebrews chapter 3, talks about Israel entering into the promised land. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, we're going to put on the screen here in just a moment. Israel was not allowed to enter into the promised land, the first generation that left Egypt. Because according to the Hebrews, they rebelled against the word of God. And how did they rebel? Because they doubted God's word. They doubt. They committed the sin, singular, called the sin of unbelief. He brings that out in Hebrews chapter 4. Called the sin of unbelief. A whole generation that God redeemed out of Egypt. We marvel at the Red Sea. They marveled at, at all the great works of God to bring them out of Egypt. And yet they did not believe God's word to bring them into the promised land. And they were forbidden to go because he said, So I swore to my, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Jesus, I mean the writer of Hebrews, or, or God, equates his rest with the promised land. It's the same word used interchangeably. You see, 
to the Jews, to Israel, natural Israel, the promised land was a piece of land called Canaan. But to us in the New Testament, God's grace and rest is our promised land. God wants to bring you out of Egypt into the promised land. He wants to bring you out of lack into abundance. He wants to bring you out of sickness into wholeness. He wants to bring you out of wandering in the wilderness to a place called rest. He wants to bring you to the promised land, a place of rest and plentifulness. See, there's 365 times in the scriptures where God says, do not fear. And they couldn't enter the promised land because they feared. They feared the wrong thing. But there was one time when God said, do fear. 365 times he tells us not to fear, but one time he does tell us to fear. In the Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. We're not supposed to fear. But there's one thing we are supposed to fear, is that we come short of entering into his rest. Called the promised land. The promised land to the Jews was a literal piece of land that was symbolic to the rest that we are supposed to be entering. Remember the whole point of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, our high priest, sitting, resting on the throne of God. And he's resting until he makes his enemies our footstool, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. Because according to the writer of Hebrews, the main, that's the main point of his book. See, this promised land, God describes it in Exodus chapter 3. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land. It's a plentiful land. It's large. It's not a little mini little strip. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the ites. Okay? I'm not going to go through all that. God brought them out of Egypt. To bring them into a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing. There's plentifulness. There's abundance. And some people teach against prosperity. Well, you're against the promised land. And the Bible calls that rebellion. See, God delivered them out of slavery out of Egypt. But even when they were at the doorstep of entering to the promised land, the first generation, they still had a slave mentality that was not focused on the goodness of God. But they were focused on 
from giants. Remember Moses sent 12 spies? 10 came back with an evil report. And then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in our own sight. I, I don't have time to read the whole story. But there was giants in the land. And they, and they thought they were grasshoppers. God already told them that there would be giants in the land. God already told them how, uh, what the, when, when, when the obstacles that were in the land. But he, said, uh, he already told them, I bring you to a good land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. God made a, made a promise. And yet, they were more focused on the giants, the problem, than God's word and promise. Now, you probably have heard the story of Moses sending out the 12 spies and 10 coming back from an evil report. And two, Joshua and Caleb having a good report and how they wanted to stone them. And how many of you, when you've heard that story, have said, if I was there, I would have teamed up with Joshua and Caleb. I would have, I would have stood. I would have, I would have I said, you know, I would, you know, I would have been bold. I would have been bolder. I would have had just like, how dare you? What's wrong with you people? How many of you thought you would, you would, you would just stand and fight with Joshua and Caleb? You would stand. You would probably be among the ones being stoned. But you're like, I'm going to fight this. How foolish can you guys still be and still breathe? And yet, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in, in the rebellion. This whole rebellion was not believing God when they were worried about giants. Paul, I mean, the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit says, that was rebellion. And we think that we would, we would have teamed up with Joshua and Caleb. But he says, today, you have the same opportunity that Joshua and Caleb have right now. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works, 40 years. For 40 years they saw his works. And they rebelled against that word. See, Joshua and Caleb believed this word. I'm going to take you to a good land flowing milk and honey. The ten spies all they saw was giants, and all they saw is that they were grasshoppers in their own sight. And Joshua and Caleb was believing God before they took over the land. You read the book of Joshua, you'll see how they conquered the land. But on the, on the other side of the Jordan, before they crossed over, they were murmuring and complaining. And basically accusing God of being a liar. Okay? And we think that we would team up with Joshua and Caleb. Before they ever conquered the giants, Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit, the scripture says. And says, we can, we can do this because God says, God's promised it. Well, 
the Bible says, by his stripes we were healed. And before you get a healing report from your doctor, how many of you are going to believe God versus what you see in your own eyes? How many of you are going to believe God before you see the money in your bank account? How many of you are going to believe God before your problem is resolved, whatever that problem may be? How many of you today, if you hear his voice, that the kingdom of God is here, will you harden your heart as they did in rebellion and not believe God for your healing, not believe God for your provision, not believe God for the resolution of your situation? How many of you will believe God before you see it, like Joshua and Caleb? Or how many of you will say, I understand what God said, but I am like a grasshopper in my own sight. And this problem, this sickness, this cancer, this poverty can overtake me. I know what God says, but I believe in what I see versus what God says. And the Holy Spirit calls that rebellion. Amen or oh me? Okay. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm not saying this to offend you. I'm saying this to help you. And I've been there myself. I've disbelieved God myself. Some of the things that Sherry and I are wrestling right now is because we preach this and we're not, we're not walking through this perfectly. I'm not saying this because I mastered this. I'm saying this because it's true. It's the word of God. Okay? Whatever you need God to do for you, Jesus has already provided for you through the cross. In spite of the giants, will you get up and go into the promised land according to hearing his voice? In spite of whatever you're going through, despite the giants, will you go get up and go into the place of rest and receive God bringing your enemies and making them your footstool? God said he would bring the enemies to your feet. You rest, sit and rest until he makes his enemies. Are you rest conscious? Are you promised land conscious? Or are you giant conscious? Are you more conscious of the giants? The sickness? The lack? The problem? Are you more conscious of the word of God and the promise of God and the rest of God? What are you more focused on? What are you relying on? What are you trusting in? What are you mulling over, meditating on? Are you mulling over, I understand I got this problem, but God told me rest and trust Him. Rely on Him. 
God told me, I don't know if you can see on the screen, delight yourself in Him. And He will give you desires of your heart. Commit your way to Him, trust in Him, and He, not you, will bring it to pass. Happy if you are resting in His goodness, because He will take care of everything. Or how many of you, like, understand what God's promised? Understand what He said He will do? But this is too big. What I'm going through is bigger than what Israel went through with these giants. God overcame that, but he can't overcome this. How many of you are so focused on the giants that you have lost sight of the word of God, the promises of God, the rest of God? You lost sight of God. You're allowing your giants to be your master and your Lord. And to be the scepter of your kingdom. Instead of his righteousness being the scepter and the foundation of the kingdom of God that's in you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which is righteousness and joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. I want to switch gears a little bit here, but I want to continue making my point. In the book of John, Jesus We'll see a picture of rest when Jesus heals the paralytic. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. Just to use some symbology with me, if you will. How many of you would agree that the word bed is a symbol of rest? Okay? Well, of course it's a bed. A guy was paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's not talking about rest here. Well, man, man, maybe it's so. He's talking about healing the man on the Sabbath. Okay, we're going to get there in just a moment. But a bed is supposed to be a place of rest. Okay, whether this guy chose to rest for 38 years or not is beside the point that I'm trying to make. He's been resting for 38 years. A bed is a place of rest. Okay. We could also, I think in some ways, if you can just play it along with me, Rise and take up your rest and walk. See, the Sabbath is called the day of rest. And Jesus healed on the Sabbath regularly. So much in verse 10. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Is it, <coughs> it is the Sabbath. Is it not lawful for you to carry your bed? He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And if you continue to read the scriptures, it says, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus then answered and said, then my father has been working until now and I have been working. There's a whole lot here. I don't have time to go into all of it. Uh, I wish I had a little more time, but I'm running out of time here. To get to where I really want to get to before we close. Okay? This phrase, have done it, if you study this out in the Greek, in the original language, let me get to my notes there, it means, it's in the, this phrase, have done, is in the imperfect tense. What does that mean? It, mean, it means it was a continual, repeated action. In other words, Jesus had a habit. 
of healing people on the Sabbath. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted him and plotted to kill him because he regularly healed on the Sabbath. Okay. He had a habit. Jesus had a habit of healing people on the day of rest. And the whole message in that. The day of, in day of rest. Okay. I'm going to piggyback on that in just a moment, too, in another way. Now we have another story, similar to this, in Luke chapter 13. I'm going to go there in a second. Where we have a woman who's been bowed over for 18 years. And again, Jesus, he, he's addicted to healing people on the Sabbath. They like to put it that way. So she would... But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. See, the Jews thought that healing was a, was a work. It's actually a rest. Okay, I don't have time to, to, to unpack all that up right now. But what was Jesus' response to this? The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite! And he went, I mean, we're too soft sometimes. Okay, but anyway, does not each of you, one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall so it can have some water? I'm paraphrasing. So ought not this woman be a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. 18 years she's been bound. And yet you let your own ox and donkey to have some water. And you call it work. She was, see, they thought healing was, healing was a work. Jesus said she was healed not because of what she did, for being a child of God. We're not healed because of something we do. We are healed because of who we are in Christ Jesus. We're healed for being a daughter. We're healed for being a child of God. In Exodus chapter 15, God, I don't have time to read it all, but God says, I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha, your healer. Now, I don't, I don't have all the Hebrew here in front of you, but this word heal you, or Rapha, <coughs> excuse me, in the, in the, in the, in the Hebrew, So if you if you if you read or study this word Rafa in the in the Hebrew, it means to heal, but it also means to relax. Healing comes by being at rest. The word heal again is a word not only in Rafa not only means heal but it also means the relax. How do we know the relax sounds like rest to me? How do we know when someone's sick? When I don't care what they are. Even if it's someone laying on a bed for 38 years, they're not, they're not relaxing. They're sick and tired of relaxing. They want to get up and do something. Okay. But 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. It doesn't say sit and wait. It doesn't say, in other words, let me say this again. It doesn't say once your enemies are your footstool, then come and sit and rest. No, it says that we are to sit first at his right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool. Well, you said, you said, Pastor, well, we're not sitting on the right hand of God. Jesus said, yes, but I already, I already explained to you, I don't need to teach all that again, that we're sitting with him together, with him and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're sitting with him on his throne. I give you two scriptures to prove that already. Okay. And so, I believe we are to rest first. Rest means trust. Rest means relying on Him. Rest means trusting God. <coughs> to keep His word. And He, not you, makes your enemies your footstool. Rest first. Have a throne-like attitude. Sit together with Him on the throne until he makes your enemies your footstool. What enemies do you have? Sickness. I'm not talking about people. I mean, no, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against every principality of power. And those who have done evil and defrauded you, they're not the problem. It's who they're listening to. The voice they're listening to is a problem. Okay? I don't have time to go into all that right now. In other words, what do you see? Or what are you saying? Are you saying, let me get out of this mess and then I'll rest? Are you saying, let all my bills be paid and then I'll rest? Are you saying, let me be healed from my disease and then I'll rest? Let my kids grow up and go to college and then I'll rest. Let the, let the government change and let our situation change and then I'll rest. That's not what the scripture says. Sit until I make your enemies your footstool. See, human nature is inclined to worry with restlessness until our enemies are fulfilled. It doesn't say sit and be restless. Sit. Prop your feet up. Because I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. Your enemies that were oppressing you, they're not going to be your footrest. But a lot of us, unlike Joshua Caleb, when we hear his voice, we say the opposite. We say, when this happens, I'll rest in. And say, I will rest first. 
in the book of Ruth, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Naomi had a right. I'm going to seek rest so that it will be with thee. A lot of us wanted to be well for us so that we'll rest. But Naomi said, I will seek rest for thee. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that it will be well with thee. Naomi who says, rest first. So that it will go well with you. Rest in my goodness and I will take care of everything. God wants his nature to reign. God wants to reign. God wants to be God in your life. Jesus is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. Cancer is not your Lord. Lack is not your Lord. Debt is not your Lord. Depression is not your Lord. Strife is not your Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sit with him on his throne till he makes your enemies your footstool. Rest. Relying, trusting, and propping your feet. You're already seated with him on his throne. Sit down and rest first. I know, I understand how, I, know, I understand the problem. I'm not in your shoes, but I have my own problems. But sit down and rest. And I will put all of your conquered enemies that Jesus conquered through the cross at your feet. But I notice too, in verse 2, the Lord says, Send the rod, the scepter of your strength, out of Zion, and rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. You know, it says in Psalm 23, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Again, a lot of us are waiting for everything to change and then we'll rest. But God is saying, not only rest until I make the enemy your footstool, but he says, I prepared a table for you. Eat. And you're like, you want me to eat now? You want me to feast on this, 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 this banquet table now? While everything is going away, while everything's going wrong, when my life is falling apart? Are you still sick? Do you still have no money and provision? Are your problems still not resolved? Rest and eat because he has prepared a table for you in the very presence of your enemies. You're supposed to rule in the very midst of your enemies. I'm not saying life has no problems. I'm saying Jesus is Lord in the midst of your enemies. And he has a scepter. It is called righteousness. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous for begging for bread. God 
is just. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it smells like. I don't care what, how long it's been going on. Rest in his goodness. In Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we have seen him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The chastisement for our peace, the kingdom of God is righteous, joy and peace from the Holy Spirit. There's a lot being said here. But whatever your problem is, Jesus paid for it. He bore your griefs. He bore your sorrows. He carried your sorrows. He was wounded for you. He was bruised for your iniquities. If you sin, you might have, you might be in this problem because you're the one that dug a hole and you're now laying in it. Okay? He's been chastised for your peace. He was stripped for your healing. Whatever you're going through, Jesus paid for it. Okay? And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting to make his enemies your footstool. And, okay? But then, how I many you know, I just read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54 says, See no barren woman. You who have not born, break forth into sea and cry aloud. You who have not labored with a child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabitants. Wow. See no better woman. You who have not You've been seeking God, you've been standing on his word, you've been praying, you've been seeking him, and yet you are still barren. Barrenness is not the will of God. Jesus, God told us that we are to be fruitful and multiply God. He, he told us that in Genesis 1. He echoed that to Noah when he came out of the ark, be fruitful and multiply. That's the will of God. <coughs> I know I'm talking about having kids here, I'm, not, I'm talking about having children. But whatever is barren in your life, whatever is broken, whatever Jesus paid for to the cross, he carried your soul, he by his stripes you're healed, whatever you're going through, <coughs> excuse me, he paid for it. And now he tells you to sing. It's time to change the music. If the heavenly host can change the music because they saw a, wood, a lamb as though he was slain, knowing that we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus, our very tribe, town, and nation, to reign as kings on the earth, he's telling us to sing, to rejoice, to delight, enjoy life, eat, sing, rest, believe the problem is resolved. Sing now, today. Don't harden your voice. Don't harden your hearts to his voice. Before you see the manifestation, sing, dance. Stop postponing your joy and peace because the kingdom of God is here.
And the scepter of that kingdom is righteousness. The foundation of that kingdom is righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have the keys. It's within you. Okay. And he says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and rest. Rejoice. Sit down. Prop up your feet. Because the kingdom of God is here. Sit down at his right hand. God make your image your footstool. Sit on your lap of Jesus and he will give you rest. Sit on the lap of Jesus. Come to his throne boldly in your time of need and receive grace and mercy. Receive this abundance of grace. Receive this righteousness. He's, he's pointing the scepter towards you. What do you want? What do you need? I am your king and I am your God. I'm your daddy. And whatever you need, my son already paid for it at the cross. Receive. Eat. I know you have enemies called lack. I know you have enemies called sickness. I know you have enemies called this. But I have prepared a table for you in the midst of your enemies. Come pop up your feet. It's time to wash your feet. It's time for you to rest in my goodness while I take care of everything. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God is here. I hope this has ministered to you bless you. I know I need to hear this myself. God bless you guys. You guys all have a great week. We will see you next week. Amen and amen. God bless you.